So I find it very interesting of what is taking place today, that Pastor Scott's sick as we're beginning in Genesis. We just finished the first seven days of creation. And in God's sovereign timing, in his providence, we are going to look at Psalm 19 today. Psalm 19 is a psalm of David, and this psalm is broken down into a couple sections. Uh, if you look at your sermon outline, you'll see the fact that God reveals himself through his word, world, God reveals himself through his word, and then we'll look at David's response to that. So today, we're going to look at two aspects of God's creation. We're going to look at his glory, and we're going to look at his glory in this way, through his world, which is referred to as general revelation, and through his word, which is referred to as special revelation. Our theme for this morning, what we're trying to understand is the fact that God has set his glory on display through both his world and his word. But before we start reading Psalm 19, Let's ask this question, what is God's glory? We, we often talk about glory, right? That we're going to give glory to God, or God deserves all glory. But what is glory? Thanks. Well, there's two aspects to God's glory. First aspect is His intrinsic glory. That is which belongs to Him and is the sum of all His attributes. That is what we see in creation, and that is what we see in, in, the world, in the Word. And then the second aspect of His glory is what is called the ascribed glory. And this is the glory that man is to ascribe to God. This is our praise of God by what we have seen in both His creation, His created works, which we've been studying in Genesis, and in His Word. And as I was thinking about this, I got a text yesterday at like 12.51 from Scott saying, I'm sick, preach Psalm 19, and it'll be okay. All right. Well, I've been here long enough to trust Scott. Whatever Scott says, just do it. Trust him. And so immediately I responded back, okay, I'm working on it. And so this morning, I think it's very, very interesting, which I've said already, but that fact that even though we're, we were not at creation when it first happened, but we, we see creation through the Word, right? We've been studying this. And then Psalm 19 kind of just opens that up. It's just another declaration of God's glory of creation and His revealed Word, which we have gotten together in our Genesis series so far. So I'm going to read the first 14 verses of the psalm, and then I will pray. And then we'll go through each verse and explain it. This is the word of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. O Lord, you are the one true God, the one who spoke everything into existence. We praise you, Lord, for this, this morning for your creation. We praise you even more for your word where you reveal yourself to us. We thank you that through Christ we are able to gather today to hear the word preached. Lord, as we look at this psalm, as we look at you, would you, would you open our hearts and our minds to just understand even more your glory that's on display? Would you help us to ascribe glory to you because you and you alone are worthy of all praise? Lord, fill me with your spirit. Give me grace. Give us grace this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. God's glory in creation is visible. This is the first thing we see. Here in the first verse, David tells us the heavens, which include the sun, moon, and stars, planets, all these are declaring the glory of God. And the sky, which includes the breathable part, containing clouds, the weather, rainbows, birds, proclaim his handiwork. David chooses these words here for sky and heavens because these are the same words used in Genesis chapter 1. See, David's pointing back to creation. Heavens, in Genesis chapter 1, is used ten times, and sky, which is usually translated expanse, is used nine times. This is a combination of 19 times just in the first chapter. The heavens have been declaring God's glory ever since the beginning of creation. This means that God's glory has been visible to all of humanity, not just a select few. Each person who looks up can see God's glory by observing his creation. God sets on display his existence, his wisdom and power, his goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness. And if we take some time and look at creation, we can see that the Creator is all-wise. He is all-powerful, both good and kind, and full of faithfulness to sustain his creation. These are the things that we can perceive visibly. The words also here that um, declare and proclaims both signify that this truth about God is ongoing. It doesn't just stop. God's creation is continuous. And that's what we see in the second verse. David says, Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. 
you know, as a boy, David was a shepherd. And so he would have spent a majority of his time outside tending the sheep. Day after day, he would have seen the sunrise, sunset. He would have seen the moon, the stars. David's uh, constant companion was pointing him to the Creator. Day and night alike reveal God's glory through His created order. Day after day continues to pour forth truth, and night and night, at night after night, displays God's eternal wisdom. In this verse, the word pours has the imagery of a flowing spring or a flowing brook, just continually pouring out fresh water for um, the animals or, or whatever else. But this means to us that daily the glory of the Lord is poured out. Listen to um, Psalm 113, verse 3. It says, From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. See, this is the part where we ascribe glory back to God. We see His creation, and then we offer praise back to God for what He's done. I was struck in the first day of uh, the day one of creation that Scott preached through, and he said that we often look at the creation and we think, wow, this is magnificent, look at this. And Scott said, we're not supposed to say, this is magnificent, we're supposed to say, wow, look at God. How awesome is God? That just struck me. And just think about the fact that as the earth rotates, the sun is always rising and always setting. So therefore, God has made his creation that he would have continuous praise. Praise God for that. Verse 3 says, There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Now we see in verse 3 that God's glory in creation is unspoken. Now this is not a contradiction with verse 2. Even though creation does not speak audible words that can be heard with our ears, it still speaks through the daily events that we perceive with our eyes. Charles Spurgeon says of this verse, The lowest heathen are without excuse if they do not discover the invisible things of God in the works which he has made. Sun, moon, and stars are God's traveling preachers. We pick up in verse 4. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Here in the first part of verse 4, God's glory in creation is everywhere. David expresses in this verse that the whole earth is filled with God's glory. As Spurgeon said, God's traveling preachers will not leave a person on this planet without the general revelation of himself. The second half of verse 4 and verse 5 says, In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. The heavens are like a tent that God has set in place so that at night the sun retires as well as man, but in the morning it comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. The image here is of a groom coming out on his wedding day. See, the groom comes out and he's bright, he's glowing in appearance. He's ready 
for his day to begin. This is his day. He's coming to receive his bride. No one is going to miss him. So it is with the sun. The sun springs forth in the morning. It awakens the day with its brightness, and no one is going to miss it rising above the earth. Just like a strong man, full of strength and endurance, who runs the course set before him with joy, likewise the sun is steadfast as it runs the course that God has laid out for it. And then David says in verse 6, Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. We see here in verse 6 that God's glory in creation is complete. God's glory in in creation is complete. David speaks here of a man's perspective of the sun's appearance in the sky. Remember, David, as a shepherd, spent pretty much all of his time outside. He had witnessed the sun's light and heat day after day. This is what David uses as he's thinking about God, as he writes this psalm to praise God, he's reflecting back on his time, kind of like Norm said this morning, he's reflecting back on his time where he has perceived God through creation. And this great light bears God's glory. It completes the work which the Creator has set out for it daily. Just as nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun, no one is hidden from the one who created it. We see in these first six verses that God has revealed himself through his world. Creation speaks to us daily saying, look at God's glory. Look at the one who created me. The sun doesn't say, look at me, look how awesome I am. The sun says, look at God, praise God. He's wonderful, he's all powerful, he's mighty. Well, We know that all men clearly see the glory of God because in Romans 1, verse 19, Paul tells us, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Verse 20 says, For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they... All people are without excuse. Even though all man can clearly see the glory of God in creation, some will still say, so what? Why does it matter? Why does it matter that God created all things? Well, we should care because everyone will have to give an account to the Creator. No one, no one here on earth will be able to say, I had no knowledge of God. And they will have no excuse because God doesn't allow anyone to have an excuse of Him. He has revealed Himself through His world that we might know Him. And then in the next part of the psalm, we see that God doesn't only reveal Himself through His world, but He reveals Himself through His Word. Picking up in verse 7, David says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. See, David uses six different terms referring to God's Word. Here in verse 7, the first term he uses is the the word law. 
And this is the same word law used in Psalm 1 verse 2. And this is a general term for God's word. We see that God's word is perfect. It's complete and sufficient, lacking nothing. Listen to Psalm 119 verse 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. See, God's perfect word revives the soul. How? How does God's perfect word revive your soul? Well, it converts unbelief to belief. It transforms darkness to light. Just like a cold glass of ice water on a hot day renews a weary body, God's word renews the weary soul of the one who will submit to its truth. The next word David uses is the word testimony. This term means to bear witness and is always used with what God decrees. His testimony, David says, is sure, meaning it is always firm, faithful, and trustworthy. It is neither unstable nor fallible. And like God himself, these testimonies are unwavering, unwavering and immovable. These are things that you can grab hold of, that we can stand firm in the day of trouble. Then David says that the testimony of the Lord teaches wisdom to the simple. Now this word simple here means open-minded. So maybe we would use this term saying, you know, I'm going to start a new job this week. You know, I'm going in with an open mind. That, that might be how we use the term. That's how I think of the term, open-minded. But the, the word simple doesn't mean that. What it means is foolish, believing everything one hears. See, that's, that's not good. It's not good to just believe everything that you hear. Someone tells you, God didn't create everything. Okay, I just, I'm, I'm going to believe everything that I hear. See, we want to train ourselves not to do that. And one way to do that is by listening to the Word of God. So hear what, how this word is used in Proverbs. In Proverbs 14, 15, the writer says, The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. And speaking in the way of wisdom, Proverbs 9, 6 says, Let this, sorry, Leave your simple ways and live. And, let, and walk in the way of insight. See, this insight or wisdom is only found in the Scripture. Next, we read in verse 8, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. We see here that Scripture is both right and pure. David here uses the word precepts. And precepts are commands from the Lord. This means, since they're commands from the Lord, that they're always right. Just as God is holy and righteous, and without sin, so are His precepts. So, these precepts, they rejoice the heart of the one who has come to know the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 27 says, Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Commandment is the next term used 
which means a divine order from the Lord. God's commandments are both pure and clear. They're crystal clear, like the Ten Commandments. See, God says in His Word, you shall not lie. Pretty clear. You shall not commit adultery. Again, clear. You shall not murder. Clear. God has given clear commands from His Word. So when sin or sorrow clouds our sight, the truth of Scripture will always enlighten our eyes. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word gives us clarity in the ways which we should go. Picking up in verse 9, David says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. See, the fear of the Lord refers to the part of God's word that invoke reverence or to rightly fear him. This is where we see that we need the right fear of God. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. To rightly fear God must start with rightly knowing Him, and we can only rightly know God through the Scripture. This is what God's given us. The last term David uses is judgments. Uh, so, and sometimes is also called rules. So these are referring to God's judicial decisions. Each and every one of God's judgments are true. They are firm, they're fixed, and they're faithful. The entire Bible is united together in complete truth and righteousness. It is the revealed Word of God. So then David says, in verse 10, that this word is to be more desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. I just want to list a few verses that proclaim this truth. Just listen to these verses. Maybe write, jot them down to go back and meditate on them a little bit later. Psalm 119, verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than ten... Sorry, then thousands of gold and silver pieces. Proverbs 8, 10 and 11. Take instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choicest gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. Again, Psalm 119, verse 127. Therefore I love your commandment above gold, yes, above fine gold. In Psalm 119, verse 103, How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Not only is God's word better than any earthly treasure we might gain, and the sweetest taste of honey that we could taste, it satisfies our deepest longing. This is our longing of our soul's spiritual hunger. 
So what is our soul's spiritual hunger? It's to know God. It's to know the one who created us. See, we can go through this entire life. We can have riches. We can have fame. We can have a wonderful life. But if we don't know the Lord who created us, we profit nothing. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? The answer is clear. It's nothing. There's no profitability. God's word is also eternal. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. See, we know that our 401k is going to pass away. We know that our bank account is going to pass away. We know that we are going to pass away. But God's word is a treasure that's eternal, that satisfies us forever. David says in verse 11, Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Well, see, we see the fact that Scripture warns us. The law warns men of their sin. Hear, hear the warning. Transgressing God's law just once makes you a lawbreaker. And every transgression is counted against us. The Lord knows all things. He counts all of them against us. The warning here is not that obedience to the law saves, but that the law condemns. Yes, to the one who keeps the law, there is a great reward. But who is that? Who can keep all of the Lord's commands? David didn't keep all the law, right? We read he's an adulterer and a murderer. I haven't kept the law. You haven't kept the law. Because sinners do not bow down to the God who revealed himself through creation, God was kind and gracious to reveal himself to us through his word. And lastly, we'll see David's response. Picking up in verse 12, I'll read 12 through 14. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, here David asks, who can discern his errors? Sinners are, by definition, those who do not acknowledge God as God. Those who do not keep his law. Sinners are God-haters instead of God-lovers. They are simple and foolish. They are defiled. They're not clean or pure. They fear man instead of rightly fearing God. David's plea is that God would keep him from sinning. See, David needs a judge to acquit him and grant him mercy instead of giving him the justice that he deserves. Why? Because David wasn't blameless or innocent. Neither am I. Neither are you. Like Paul says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God.
See, David sees his need of his own salvation and responds. He needs a redeemer to conquer sin's hold on his heart. Now and only now that he recognizes his need can David's words be acceptable to God. See, Christ writes his law upon our hearts so that we will love it and do it. Outside of Christ, there's no love for the Lord. There's no obedience to the Lord. It is through the gospel word of Christ. Only Jesus makes people blameless and innocent. Jesus is our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. See, God is glorified through Christ's saving work in our lives. God has set his glory on display both through his world and through his word. So, what do you do if you're here this morning and you have not listened to God's warning? The word has been preached this morning. You've heard it. And there's only one right response. And that is to repent of your sin and your unbelief against God. See, God is the creator. The one who spoke everything into existence. Genesis chapter 1. God is the one who formed you in your mother's womb. We read it this morning, Psalm 139. The Lord is the one who gives you breath and life each day. The one to whom you must give an account. The one who has the right and the authority as your creator to punish you for your sins against him. Woe is me. I'm undone. Dear unbeliever, the scripture is clear. The wages of sin is death, eternal death and judgment. But the free gift of God, God's free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23. See, you can be forgiven today for your rebellion against the Lord. But you must turn and trust Christ in his perfect obedience to his Father. See, Jesus perfectly kept the law, the whole law, from day one to the end. He willingly sacrificed himself on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. But you must believe that God has accepted Jesus, his son, by resurrecting him from the dead. And then and only then can you be forgiven and have eternal life through faith in Christ. God's word alone transforms the life of the one who will submit themselves to it. For what about us who have already turned to Christ as our Redeemer? What should we do based off this psalm? Well, first, we should rightly worship the Lord. It is our duty and privilege to ascribe glory to God. We, together, get to join in this. May God alone receive all the glory, because God alone is the one who is due all the glory. This has been a quick uh, running through this text this morning, but I pray that as we pause from Genesis and that we've looked at Psalm 19 this morning, that we will just worship the Lord, that we'll stop as we continue our Genesis sermon series and be thankful that the Lord has revealed himself both through his world and through his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the Lord of glory. Oh, that we, your adopted sons and daughters through Christ, would bring you much glory throughout our life of faith. 
Lord, would you help us to bring, bring you glory by telling others how they can also be forgiven of their sin and receive eternal life in Christ. Lord, would you glorify yourself through this church? Would you glorify yourself through the greater church? We ask that you would use us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.